Okay, welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Weston Salmon, living up in Ottawa, but from the Royal City, and hope you're all doing great down there. Peter, have you recovered from last week's uh, mega awesome 300th episode? Uh... I've been trying to, but not yet. It was it was a wild time <laughs> reflecting on the 300 episodes. But uh, I'm glad to be doing this episode. I'm you glad were- that it's. I'm glad that the 300 episode I did wasn't uh, a conclusion, a finale. I'm glad <laughs> to still be here with good old end credits. Have you forgiven everyone for stealing your picks yet? Uh, give me a couple days. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new animated superhero sequel, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which you can now see in a theater near you. Uh, Before that, though, we are going to do uh, another review of sorts. Uh, This week, or I should say this month, uh, later this month, I think at the literally end of this month. It literally comes out on the last day of the month. The June finale. The June finale. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny opens in theaters everywhere. It is the fifth Indiana Jones movie. It's the first one in 15 years. Um, And it comes... Well, let's do the math really quickly. Uh, It comes 30... Yeah, more than thirty. Oh, I meant from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was which opened forty two years. Yeah, 30, ago. 30, 31, yeah. Forty two years ago this week, actually. Oh, forty two Jeepers. Yeah. Um, so for the next several weeks on the show, or till we run out of Indiana Jones movies, I guess, um, we're gonna talk about uh, or we're gonna revisit the series and we're gonna dedicate each episode to one of the movies. And we're gonna start this week with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yesterday afternoon, our European sections intercepted a, a German communique that was sent from Cairo to Berlin. Now, you see, Cairo, over the last two now, years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. Hitler's a nut on the subject. He's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. And right now, apparently, there's some kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Now, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it, and maybe you can. Tannis Development Proceeding. Acquire Headpiece Staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, the city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the 
chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you mean the, commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Did you guys ever go to Sunday school? All right, so um, what, where, where, do you, where does one start with Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, Peter, you, you're a youth. Talk about how you stumbled upon indiana jones <laughs> yeah so i am actually i'm not a huge spielberg fan mm-hmm. but uh i am a huge uh indiana jones fan and yeah it was just introduced to me through my um parents and it's it's hard to because of its all uh references and you know Simpsons, family guy community has a um a <laughs> lot of references to it um it's it's hard to avoid indiana jones right but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. for me yeah it was through my parents and i watch them religiously i i have you know the full collection uh well i have the the you know the 90s full collection i, I don't have the kingdom of the crystal skull or anything <gasps> i've got In- the og DVD i've got the i'll get it one day i'll get it one day <laughs> um but yeah i would i would say raise the lost ark i don't know if it's my favorite i'd have to do a full reanalysis but it, it's definitely one of my favorites and I, I think it's objectively the best it's at least mm-hmm. a perfect introduction to mr indiana jones and what his adventures will be um and i think something now i have to rewatch the other ones but something mm. that is a good standout is there are some dated elements but mm. it's less dated than it could be based on mm. you know being an archaeologist um, I think there's a lot of other films from the 80s that are exceptionally more dated regarding, you know, race and gender. So mm. there's that. Again, there is some dated parts, but uh, in comparison to the 80s overall, it's mm. still looking okay. Yeah, that's what's interesting because, I mean, next week with Tim, we're going to dive into Temple of Doom, which is probably more problematic than I, I might remember, even though I watched it a couple of years ago. But yeah, this, I mean, yeah, all you kind of have to do is kind of ignore this veneer of uh, sort of colonial tomb raiding, which is kind of the the, the entire aesthetic of Indiana Jones. I'm going to go into you know the quote unquote third world and take their niche knickknacks and tchotchkes and and bring them back to our um, museum and put them behind glass so that people who have no connection to this culture can appreciate them. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me uh, in the upcoming one if they make it so, yes, he's going and he's finding some sort of uh, artifact, but it's to return it to mm. its homeland or something of that nature. I think there's a way that they can make uh, him still an archaeologist, but um, it more present. Uh, I guess it's still going to be set 60s or 70s, but... Um, it's in 69. Yeah, 69. Uh, there was already... A, that's, you know, like the the hippie countercultural, all that um, his mindset could be more liberal and he could, he could bring it back to the, the OG land. Hopefully we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it, but you're right. It, that, that part uh, is definitely dated and raised the lost art, but it's just that whole occupation is. So you kind of got to look past that, I guess. Well, it's, it's interesting. You should say that. Cause I don't know if you've seen like some of the uh, Indiana Jones is going woke memes out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, it, it's, <laughs> There's always like yeah some sort of trending of whatever it is going woke. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was it a heavy one? Was was a, were a lot of people making the comments? Was there anything in particular that I I don't know because um it started like after they showed Dial of Destiny at 
con and i don't know how many people have seen it or how many people just reacting to things that they've heard about in the movie mm-hmm. or if they're reacting to like phoebe waller bridge who's i was just thinking okay. that that could probably be the reason yeah because she she's a strong a feminist and not the uh typical mm-hmm. um main female protagonist casting and the mm-hmm. the earlier ones mm-hmm. um, although i would say Bridge of the lost ark she's you know she she's quite strong and smart you mean karen um, allen yeah it's not Miriam, as dated yeah. as the the following temple of the doom uh yeah i i kate kate capshaw gets so much crap for temple of doom I'm not yeah sure yeah it's justified um and karen allen will be returning uh, i'm glad she's the one that'll be returning for um yeah she's yeah, the title of destiny too. Yeah. yeah that's cool yeah um some interesting background to raiders of the lost ark i think people understand it was like uh, a, a george lucas spielberg joint that they worked together on um although it's also got philip kaufman in there um philip kaufman was kind of like developed the the, the very first iteration of the screenplay with george lucas and then lawrence kasdan took over lawrence kasdan of course worked with george lucas on empire strikes back um spielberg was not initially going to be director. It was initially going to be Kaufman who was director, but then Kaufman moved on, and uh, Lucas and Sp- was talking to Spielberg about this thing he was working on. Spielberg wanted to make a, a James Bond movie. Uh, famously, Chubby Broccoli was uh, ambivalent about letting non-English <laughs> directors make James Bond movies, which is something, fortunately, his children have kind of chilled on. Um, well, because now they're the British and their role in that is is dated now. They're not well, that's, protagonists. So I mean, yeah, James Bond's an international brand as much as anything. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Lucas takes it to Spielberg. Spielberg's like, "Yes, I'd love to do that. That sounds awesome. That sounds better than James Bond." And uh, so they start shopping it to studios. Um. And this is like kind of like an interesting sort of factoid uh, about sort of where spielberg was in his career studios were interested but uh because spielberg had made by this point he had made jaws and close encounters which were hits but had both gone over schedule and over budget and then at this point he had also made 1941 which um uh, let's let's just be kind and say it's not great uh but also went over schedule and over budget so studios were very uh cold about spielberg they're like well yeah it's a it's a great idea it's a great script we like it we want to do it but this spielberg guy um he's uh he's a money pit and so when they made the deal with paramount um it was with this like it came with like the possibility of severe penalties if they went over budget or over schedule so you have this sort of crash course for spielberg a lot of people talk about the the economy of it and and you do see that when you know rewatching this i was kind of watching the time and you kind of get this movie in in, in like 10 to tr- these 10 to 12 minute chunks where you get a piece of of the story and you get these character interactions and you get an action sequence and then you move on to the next one so there's a real kind of econo- economy of storytelling in this and you can see it and it's not like you can like see the blueprints in the movie or anything unless you're really looking looking at it like i was looking at it for this one but you can really feel Spielberg being under the gun on this one to be good, be fast, be efficient, and for lack of a better word, be cheap because you know he he had something to prove with this one. 
Yeah, absolutely. I also think something special about Indiana Jones, and I think what you were just saying, it's due to Spielberg really having to put effort into it, make it a standout, and make it something that'll uh, aid to his career being a long-lasting one, right? Mm. There is a lot of small little hints of the character's characteristics that aren't fully attached to the plot. So Mm. unlike Star Wars and other films where there isn't much depth to the characters, there's little tidbits of just external social things, uh, characteristics going on that just adds depth to the world Mm -hmm. uh, that you're viewing. Um, Just a couple examples. In the very beginning, one the one student blinks and her on her eyes, it just says... uh, (laughs) love you or i love you or whatever (laughs) and that doesn't have anything to do with the plot right but it Mm -hmm. adds depth to his uh job as a professor right what he deals with and then when he has the first conversation with those two people trying to uh to tell that tell him what's going on and to the government guys yeah the government is that that they are the government guys yeah and the one just starts talking over the other right mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with the story but again it just adds a pinch of depth to them it makes the world that you're viewing seem more real right there's yeah. a lot of things like that it's not even fully noticeable but it adds enough realism to the film that you're going to enjoy the ride even though a lot of it is exactly that just a little roller coaster of some talking and then some fast action there there's so little exposition in this which i find just kind of fascinating that nobody like nobody thought like there's no scene where indiana jones goes to cairo and he meets with sala and he's explaining to Miriam how he knows sala and and all the the jobs he's done with sala there's there's none of that it's just indiana jones is there sala's there marion's there the family's there indiana jones and sala sit down and start talking about the the dig like you you understand that they are friends they've worked together uh, and, and this is them putting their heads together again to to, to figure out another job. It's you know there's just that you know the first the very first scene with um with Belloc where you meet Belloc the the antagonist and mm. you know Indiana Jones comes rolling out of the cave having been chased out of there by a by a huge boulder and yeah you know, going through webs and spiders and poison darts and guy stabbing him in the back almost literally um he you know he comes out of the jungle belloc's there and it's it's like it's just a two minute scene it's like maybe 10 or 15 lines of dialogue but you get everything you need to understand about their dynamic indiana jones buses buses chops to, to get this idol and not for the first time but belloc has you know slipped in behind him and and just you know steals it and you know there, there's belloc literally says the line like well there's nothing you can't get that i can't take away belloc is the guy who doesn't do the work he waits for you to do the work and then he'll come and you know shove you and 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 grab your stuff while you're on the ground picking yourself up so it's it you, you get everything you need in a few lines of dialogue a few interactions and nobody's sit you know no there's no annoying voiceover there's nobody having to you know throw up lines of exposition and it, what i find remarkable too is like any filmmaker making like an reasonably decent action adventure movie will always quote raiders of the lost ark it's like well i you know i was thinking about making a movie like raiders of the lost ark i think this is like when dungeons and dragons came out earlier this year like the the, the two guys who made that were talking about raiders too and it's just like everyone quotes this movie as an as a source of inspiration 
I'm not sure how many people really take the lessons from Raiders of the Lost Ark to heart, though. Which lessons are you referring to? Like the, the teachings just, of the film or just, how? Just like the economy of storytelling, the like not having to have the exposition dump, keeping the action moving. Also, you know, you don't think enough people have followed along with that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, there, there are uh, this. This isn't a problem with the, the the Dungeons and Dragons movie necessarily, but you know, there are a lot of Tomb Raider. I was thinking about the the original Tomb Raider movie with Angelina Jolie, where it's it's very much in the mold of Indiana Jones, but she has like all of these ancillary characters who you know we have to explain why they're there. Um, oh, she has all these it, yeah. complex motivations, like the whole motivation of Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark is he wants to get the Ark and he wants to get it before the Nazis. That's all. Yeah, and that's, have... all, that's all you need to know for the adventure. <laughs> it's good to uh, leave a lot of things to your imagination, right? If it's yeah. not 100% needed for the plot for an adventure film like this, then just don't include it. Yeah. Um, and no, you're absolutely right. I think also uh, MCU has a big issue with that. There's, yeah, that's a huge uh, issue. Somewhere that's not needed, but, you know, especially Infinity Wars, the Avengers ones, uh, where there's so many of the external superhero films connected, um, they, they try to explain too much. And it just pulls mm -hmm. away from the story that um, you're viewing or, you know, the feeling it's trying to give the adventure you're trying to be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, right as the Lost Ark, you're right, uh, masters that and more should learn from it mm -hmm. you know some did like you said but i wish more had and that it had uh retained mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i, I mean I'm curious if that uh will be within dial of destiny or if it will try to maybe explain too much to new viewers you know i, I i'm really I'm curious about that because what i'm worried about is there's a lot of flashbacks right so mm -hmm. is that as an explanation to new viewers or you know we'll we'll see if uh spielberg or i guess mangold has learned from raiders of the lost ark and, and the benefits of i guess lack of lack of depth to certain characters or including that's, what's not needed yeah i mean that's a big big concern to me it's like is this adding depth to the story or are you doing it because you want to dh harrison ford and show him during world war ii that's i mean that's the really the thing of it because until dial of destiny there's only been one flashback in the history of these movies and it's at the beginning of last crusade which kind of undermines some of the point you know we're making here because it's 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 an exposition heavy like i think it's like 15 minutes long maybe it's less than that but um where it's like everything that made indiana jones indiana jones happened in one afternoon in that like 1908 or something so yeah well well i'll be curious to <laughs> hear your episode on that one because it, it that maybe is a spielberg mistake right was, mm. was that necessary for the film i guess to add um a bit of understanding to his relationship with his father uh sean I connery guess, yeah. i guess uh, yeah. i don't know but um i think the raiders of the lost ark uh tactic he used is is way better mm -hmm. yeah yeah there, there's um it, it's an economy of character i mean and a lot's been said about you know sort of the action sequences too it's it, it you know the the plane fight where he fights the the giant hulking nazi and uh, the plane blows up <laughs> that's <laughs> i mean we talk a lot about like sort of the jump cuts and the the handheld stuff and like a lot of action sequences today but you know again that's that scene with its cuts 
you know with its the way that it lays out the geography like where's the gas truck where's the plane um how many guys are on the tarmac uh where's marion <laughs> this and it goes it just goes beat by beat by beat and sets sets it up piece by piece by piece mm-hmm. when the when she takes the 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 chalks out from under the wheels to club the pilot over the head the starting of the plane when the plane is spinning around knocks the truck the the fuel thing off the truck so that the fuel spilling ever watching the fuel flow across the tarmac to where there's a fire just beat by beat by beat it is um it it is a little film class how watching how that whole scene cuts together and then just you know the the human touches of it too when he's he's trying to sneak up on the pilot he gets up on the wing and the big hulking nazi guy comes out and he Mm -hmm. starts screaming at him in german like come on let's fight and (laughs) harrison's reaction when he just like puts up an is like okay okay just give me a sec i'll be right with you (laughs) yeah so so well done yeah it's there's so much going on and it's it, it all seems to flow so simply and i i can't imagine any of that like logistic wise is simple but I, I think that's one of the great gifts of Raiders is that it all seems to come together so simply. But um, I mean, this is th- there is a lot of coordination to this. It and and again, it's it's not even just well, that makes it even more a- impressive how much uh, he Spielberg had to go through to mm-hmm. make such a a wonderful film. Yeah, and the the other thing too is it wasn't all necessarily Spielberg because there the ending scene with the. Uh, the ritual where they open the ark. Apparently that was like twice as long. And George, Lu- this is one of George Lucas's primary contributions. He comes in and he edits it and he cuts it in half. So you get this like much more quick, much more. I don't want to say juicy because people's faces melt off in the course of the scene, but it, it's, it's something that like really hits faster where you get these, like you get this buildup and then it turns and then you get the quick cuts. The right, 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 right. And it's, you know, it, it becomes well, that's, that's all absolute that's horror show. Yeah. It, I, I would say if it was longer than that, if it was what Spielberg uh, had wanted, it'd be more like a, a Stanley Kubrick film, like Space Oddity or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> you know? And it just it would not go along with the rest of the film. Right. And the, um, you know, the the vibe that it's presenting, the, mm-hmm. the mindset it wants you in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is really kind of a a gift to the art of editing. You know, it, editing isn't so much about what you leave in; it's about what you cut out. I, I I part of me wonders what that longer scene looks like. Whether it's a sort of like if if it's sort of like even more lurid or 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 what is yeah, it? what is the it? melting faces look like? How long are we <laughs> seeing those? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How much do we focus on that? But um it is interesting you know to to think it just and it's it's also simple too that's another thing about tomb raider is like i don't remember what the MacGuffin is in the tomb raider movie but i know it involved i remember it involves time travel which just makes the thing so complicated it's which tomb raider are you referring to the jolie or the more no the the angelina jolie one the first angelina jolie one yeah because it involves time travel or something and just like this is you know it, it lays it right out you know when there's a scene with belloc and jones in like a cafe and he says like it's a transmitter for talking to god so you sort of understand sort of what the what the or what they think the arc is going to do um 
so when you get to the end and they open it, it's just it's it's a horror show because you're not. And, and it, the funny thing is, there's warnings all through this thing. Everyone's talking about like, I don't understand why you're going after this thing because all, all the legends say that you know it doesn't end very well for people who find the ark. And and at the end, it's it's all sort of justified. It's like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't end very well. It's no, no, not all. It's still even with all you're told, it's still even more uh, wicked and demonic. It's worse than you than think. Than you think yeah. it's worse, so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's funny um any other thoughts about indiana jones or or, indiana jones Jones and the raiders of the lost ark yeah not what it's called but it's raiders of the lost ark yeah well i also think it's uh the intro is very wonderful even though it's oh yeah quite separate it's just a really great introduction to very cold one you're you're gonna have yeah Mm -hmm. it's not even like an intro to raiders of the lost ark it's an introduction to indiana jones which uh i think is great um mm-hmm. and i also think the um the information or or the amount that you're given to the puzzles that he's solving and the lecture that he gives and the description of mm. artifacts and archaeology is quite interesting it, it, there's actually for the small amount of dialogue there is it, it's some fun little tidbits about you know how archaeology uh works you know how that <laughs> Um, and I, what I, more so with that, I, I think the uh, like the whole set design is amazing. The mm-hmm. you know um, archaeologist, all that area in Cairo is uh, beautiful, and getting to see him do the puzzles, um, you know, play mm-hmm. with the light, um, you know, mm-hmm. have to deal with the snakes is is really wonderful. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's an adventure film it's not even you know there's action but it's it's just such a great adventure film and i wish there was more like that um and i do like i said i i think it's less dated than a lot of other films there's just the one scene that mm. I, i've never been able to get i just mm. when the one person takes out their sword and wants a huge fight and then indiana jones just shoots him i don't like that i think it's still dated especially now and it's just so american um yeah. but it was you, you like, know the story behind that though right no what what is the story i guess like he he needs to do it that quickly to go save his love uh, i don't know well, there is was there... there was supposed to be a huge there's supposed to be a huge fight between harrison ford and and that guy um but harrison ford had like food poisoning or like something that day so um that's it, what him and Spielberg say. come I, up with the thing that he shoots him instead and i'd like to see a medical document <laughs> Of him catching the flu and being sick. <laughs> or food poisoning. I just need some proof of him feeling ill that day. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, I Maybe I'm just, like, yeah, I'm focusing too much on America and, you know, like, pro-gun and everything. But it's just that scene still, to me, doesn't doesn't feel right. Um, it it I, does I, seem I, like a very American thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, other than that, really, uh, I would say no flaws. Um, I guess the representation of the indigenous in the beginning is is dated, but um, mm. even that in comparison to other uh, indigenous portrayals, like, I don't like Pocahontas, right? right? That's way worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I hear yeah. It's I I think that's another example, of sort of that like lingering idea, and it, it's. You know, they're basing it on adventure serials from the 1930s, which were, you know, let's just say they weren't exactly woke. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, sorry, go, go ahead. 
Oh, I just wanted to also say, um, mm. for someone like me who's born after 91, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a really great way to introduce yourself to Ronald Lacey. You know, he he's mm. one of the actors that just wasn't around when I was living. So you might not hear about him, but he's really, really fun, especially as a villain. So it's great uh, to have him in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And like I said, if you're born after 91, it's a good way to introduce yourself to that English actor and his fun, evil characters. Yeah, and and that's sort of what the the um, the first three indie movies, um, like a lot of the the Star Wars movies, sort of leaned very much on people who were famous for you know the the English English films, English not English language, I mean England, um, the the theater there, um, yeah, but yeah, Ronald Lacey is such a, a standout in this um <laughs> especially also it, it's a good uh another example of like i was saying in cairo how the visuals were great um when he gets his hand messed up and then yeah. when he does the hill you know he puts <laughs> it up and you see the burn and it's just so subtle he's got no pain there and he's just really uh um there's there's not even a line said right? every just, every line okay. delivery he makes is just so oily when he like when he when he goes to Marion's bar in Nepal, and and um, she says like I'm not used to, you know, people coming in and telling me what to do in my place, and he goes, Freud, let me tell you what I am used to, and he's not yeah, looking at her, he's line. poking at the fire. He's just... <laughs> oh yeah, and then later on, it's probably I... my what's one of my favorite moments ever when he comes into the the tent, and he takes the thing out of his bag, and it and. You're like, oh my god, what kind of like torture instrument is this? And it turns out to be a mm-hmm. hanger for his code. It, he just plays it brilliantly. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you're right. It it's it, you know a lot of these like actors who don't or, let, let's say they're not stars. It, it's the series in the first three movies makes like really good use of them, which is another thing. It's like we get Mad Mickelson as the villain in Dial of Destiny. We got Kate Blanchett as the villain in kingdom of the crystal skull and you know they're bringing in certain expectations and it's um yeah it's it's nice to be surprised by an actor let's just say you know if if it's an actor you don't know but yeah absolutely um and i think rage lost ark out of all of them has the best ending um just the the closing facility there the workhouse yeah Yeah, i I just i I love it so much yeah often lines but it says so much I'm, I, it kind of yeah oh that's one of the other ones scenes that that's parody quite a bit yeah. at the beginning and then that one too i was gonna say often imitated never duplicated but uh it disappoints me so much that they go back there at the beginning of uh kingdom of the crystal skull that's well i blocked I, that out so okay well there you go yeah i'm on my rewatch right now so i might <laughs> you said which one kingdom of the crystal skull crystal skull yeah okay i'll skip past the beginning well, I mean, you got to watch the beginning, otherwise you don't. Anyway, we'll get. I'll, there. I'll blink. I'll have a really long blink. We'll we'll get there because you're also doing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, nice. um, <laughs> so we'll have that to look. Oh, that to. means I have to watch it. Though. All right, I'll watch that beginning part. Yeah, yeah, you have to watch it. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and come back with our review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU, ninety-three point three FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
thing and stop Spider-Man. You on your miles, Miles Morales. He's entering sector four. Do I uh have web on my face? What's the deal? Miles, he's right there. He's running. Turn around. I don't see anything, boss. <laughs> Let me guess. He died. Okay, so that was a clip from Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's the new film from Joaquin DeSantos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, and it features the voice talents of Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, Daniel Kalua, and Oscar Isaac. So, uh, first of all, um, how many Spider-Men were in this again? I think they literally have a count going. It was something like 250 Spider-Men. Yeah, about about that. <laughs> 240 Spider-Men in six universes. So how about that? That's, that's th- a lot of Spideys. You thought you were doing great getting, you know, Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland in that last live-action Spider-Man movie. Well, we've got 250 Spider-Men for you here. Yeah, it's like the um, the like a human centipede, right? I think it goes from like <laughs> like three to like then like a hundred or something. It's yeah, exactly like that. It's exactly um, like the human centipede. You're absolutely right. Shot for shot. <laughs> Okay, so what did you think of, of Across the Spider-Verse? Oh, I, I absolutely loved uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Um, I think it was even uh, better than the original one, um, mm. pretty much pretty much in every way. Um, I thought just like the first one, too, a standout is how amazing the music is and the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like, I just like external to... The, the soundtrack i i like metro boomin so i think he did a great job and i was very pleased with him mm-hmm. um you know I, I really like Lil uzi too i like you know don toliver it was it was really great i like all around very modern but um definitely a perfect first spider-man film as well um and visually i think it was outstanding um i uh I guess I guess it's still CGI. It's like made with computers, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's not a heavy, you know, attempted at, at 3D. It's just a really almost beautiful comic book that you're viewing, mm-hmm. um, and the just way every single shot flows together. And one of my favorites is how a lot of the times, depending on the dialogue and what emotion is trying to be set, the background will change. The background will morph. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really, really beautiful. And I think the villain, the spot and his power is, again, a perfect addition to the film because of the visuals. Like him being able to go into different holes in and out uh, is really, really cool. Really, really great visual yeah. uh, to go to go alongside this kind of imagery. Yeah, I, the, the use of his powers is a lot of fun. Um, there's the seat, the first scene where he, Miles Morales confronts him and he's in the, the, the convenience store and he's standing, he's standing there and the bread falls out of him. 
because uh, <laughs> he, he, he's got a hole on his chest and then there's another hole behind him where the bread is coming through and so you just see the bread falling out of his chest it's it's just so it's so much fun yeah and um yeah and the schwartzman voice um it's instantly recognizable but i didn't place it as schwartzman until i saw the credits i was like oh yeah that is schwartzman so yeah no no i don't think it's going to be one of the situations where you only view jason schwartzman it's even though like it's obviously jason schwartzman's voice it Mm -hmm. it just happens his voice to work perfectly with uh the spot Um, (laughs) yeah it's, yeah, it's, I also I thought yeah. it was great how much this is kind of going against what we were saying for Indiana Jones, but mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed getting a little bit of information about why he's the spot and why he's angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that was like just like one quick little visual flashback, so not not too much depth, but just enough. Just I mean, enough. it's it's in keeping with sort of what the film is trying to do, which is trying to it's trying to make a like a comic book movie as in like trying to capture that aesthetic of the comic book in movie form. So you get um, these like little translation boxes. I don't know what you really call them in the business, but you see that in, um, in comic books where somebody uses a term and the editor adds this little box at the bottom of the panel where it explains what that term is or something happened the a character references to something that happened previously, and then there's a little box at the bottom that says, as in Uncanny X Men number 265 or something like that. Um, there's a lot of little, I mean, and that plays into the things like the voiceover and the, you know, as the, the flashbacks, as you mentioned, there's a real feeling that they're, they're making a real comic book movie, which is something the, the first Spider Verse movie toyed with. I don't think it really got into that. Um, and it's something not to I, the same extent. No, no, no not, not to all. the same extent. No, I have to go back and rewatch it now just because I, I don't remember that film just going this hard. Um, no, there wasn't as much background morphing uh, in the first one. But again, I'd have to rewatch. Yeah, I have to rewatch it too. Um, yeah. the, the other thing, it, it too, is um, uh, movies, the, the movies, you know, even though they may be sort of honorific or um capture you know comic book accurate costumes or something like that more or less they play like movies i i haven't seen someone attempt to sort of do this at least do it properly uh, I, I mean frank miller tried when he made the the movie adoption of the the spirit and i guess robert rodriguez did that with his his sin city movies but just in terms of like big budget stuff well, Lee, still live action right right and but you know ang lee tried it with the hulk where he did like boxes where you would see like he he would like he's working on the big screen obviously but he also was working in boxes and you would see action move from one box to another box and so he was it, trying it to, doesn't quite yeah. work right. no it didn't quite work i i appreciated the effort i like yeah, i like same same ang lee's hulk as like a, a, a as like a maximum effort <laughs> um comic book movie even if it doesn't work here it works though and i think it's because it's that comic it's it's animation animation is the factor that i think lets it work because oh, you yeah. can, you can fun- accept anything with animation yeah and the fun little boxes are, are great for everybody and uh, especially uh fans of spider-man there's um anybody listed there's um little box references to the insomniac games at the one part which yeah. is, is a lot of fun especially because the film was like released the same day or like the day <laughs> after the spider-man 2 like release day was given it was that was mm. fun it was fun if you're a mm. spider-man fan in particular um make sure yeah you read the boxes you don't need to if you're a viewer but like it's fun too and it, especially if you're a fan of good old spidey you should check them out 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's not just sort of the, the I mean the Easter egg. I, there's a thing with this movie where it's playing with that. I mean, there, yeah. There what so is an Easter egg if all of these uh, references are part of the plot? Are they Easter eggs? <laughs> yes, or... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because no, like the the Lego Spider Man, right? Like, is that was that just a little reference to that, or was that just like happened to be a huge part of the film? You know, it's, it's I love I love that. Crazy. I love the egg yeah. Egg. And it's, um, I a fifteen year old the the animation of it too. Which that's is really right. Cool. Yeah, it was oh. it was yeah. The the director saw. I, I think he did like a Lego shot for shot lego remake of the spider-verse trailer yeah 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 so that's that's how that kid got involved yeah the, the thing with the because i i'm really online you know i i what i found is like with the co- release of like all these major comic book movies um uh, whether it's the trailers whether it's the release of the actual movies whether it's like this these like forensic examinations of the post credit scene it's all about like oh what easter eggs are in here what clues what other things and what the, the filmmakers of spider-verse are saying it's like okay i'm gonna we're gonna constantly throw at you mm-hmm. multiple easter eggs multiple jokes multiple gags like not just stuff in comic books but like there's a scene where the the spots like exploring his powers and he ends up in like the live action venom universe yeah right right it's it's very uh, the amount of references uh is broad it's a very very broad array of, of references and not just directly to spider-man yeah you're right so it's like every minute you're trying like i don't know how all these people who like who it's like their job to proctor all these easter eggs i don't know how they did it because it, it's it's just throwing so much at you constantly it's it's it's, I don't know if it's you a sensory even... overload Spider-Man, but it, it's very, very close. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I want to watch it again just to see what I missed. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Oh, it was so, it was so fast paced. Uh, there's just always something going on and the music, the visuals were so great and so engrossing that uh, it went by very very quick for me mm-hmm. I, I think it's about like 220 uh mm-hmm. two hours and 20 minutes around that mm-hmm. um and yeah it went, went by went by very quick uh mm-hmm. at, at least for me um, yeah yeah it's... and uh i also want to say like even though there's all the references and even though it's like the multiverse you don't need to really know it all to enjoy it it's still a fun time no it's very character focused which i like it's very it's focused like... on on we're... yeah it's very focused on gwen stacy uh spider gwen miles and um eventually peter b parker comes mm-hmm. comes into it and i mean that's kind of where the focus is on and then the the miguel o'hara the spider-man 2099 character uh, you know it, it, it's it's <laughs> there's a lot going on but you never lose the thread which is like this is the story of these like three or four different spider people and and their uh their trivial well not trivialities it's it's pretty dark and serious i i, mm-hmm. I think what it's interesting is like there's there's kind of like a i don't know a question of identity in in all of this it's like you know in in sort of the confrontation that miles is is forced to forced into it's like well who gets to be spider-man it's a questionnaire who gets to call themselves spider-man and it's being spider-man this one or two like life-defining moments and and what's spider-man's goal like like oscar isaac spider-man miguel he views it as to save the world Mm -hmm. no matter the cost Mm-hmm. whereas that's not spider-man that's like i don't know captain america or something <laughs> spider-man it's like about it's about love 
right? Mm-hmm. It's about saving humans, saving your loved ones, like your friendly yeah. neighborhood Spider-Man, that's, right? Yeah, but, right. Um, and that's why I think it's great that there is so many Spider-Mans. It shows, yeah, it's okay for Spider-Man to focus on, you know, like New York or Harlem or whatever, because there's other Spider-Mans out there doing great things. And <laughs> it's just a good Spider-Man. He's a good mascot for what more superheroes should be. So it's good to, to stick to that. And mm-hmm. I just don't think a lot of the Spider-Mans, because the Spider-Man don't have the heart to do what Oscar Isaacs wants to do, what what Miguel right. O'Hara wants to. Yeah. Um, so I think that's interesting. It's always a great thing to bring into these Spider-Man films. You know, I, it's like uh, overused, you know, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but it's mm-hmm. it's a statement, you know, it's mm-hmm. a statement. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, it's it's just like. Does tragedy make Spider-Man or it's, it's just like, you know, the, yes, it is the that desire to help needed. out. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. The tragedy, tragedy is a huge part of Spider-Man and that's presented well in the film. All the different ways too is, is really cool. Because I I mean, to say, like you mentioned, um, Spider-Woman, uh, Haley Steinfeld, not Mm -hmm. only in it a good amount, the intro is like just her, you know? And I thought Mm -hmm. that, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I like that, um, the Spider-Gwen intro and the, you know, her being, getting her backstory and what happened between her, her and her Peter Parker and um, her relation with her dad. Yeah. It's a typical Spider-Man story, so except it's Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. And that's just uh, different than miles, but they're dealing with the same issues. You know, it, it's really well done. Um, yeah. You're also like, I kind of sometimes not like, I was kind of like on, not necessarily on the dad's side, but like I would feel bad <laughs> for him too. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's always that's always good a bit of depth there yeah i like um, the dad um captain stacy uh voice of shay wingham who's uh, uh a character actor people will recognize from things um i i thought he he had a really nuanced performance um yeah it's it it is interesting the questions it poses i mean it's it's this fun like sort of zippy time and then you're confronted in the end where um not to spoil the end but you know we, we start getting you you have these two hours where it's like it's fun we're spider people we're we're ziplining and you know oh here's here's the you know the spider-man cowboy and why is his horse wearing a mask and <laughs> all these things <laughs> and then you get to the last you know 20 minutes or so and it's it's this sort of like it's that portion of Back to the Future Two where they go back to the dark nineteen eighty five, but it's it's somehow even more personal. And now we're raising like these really kind of like questions of like, well, if Miles isn't supposed to be Spider Man, like what mm-hmm. is he supposed to be, and is that good or bad? And yeah, you know, what what's kind of the worst alternative here? Like Miles becoming something dark and unrecognizable, or you know taking the risk that you know you doing the thing you want to do mm-hmm. um and not accepting your tragic backstory will have like universe altering results so it, it creates a really interesting paradox for the next film which actually comes out in um next march march 2024 yeah luckily i think because you know well i don't know there could be like COVID 2 or whatever but uh, <laughs> it won't be it won't be like the delay of the last one 2018 to 2023 <sighs> you know we, we won't have to wait that long no, I, I mean, and I appreciate this because we've had two movies so far this summer that have ended with it to be continued. Um, this and Fast, Fast X. And oh, I, no, that I didn't see Fast X. It's, it's the exact same. It kind of the film as a whole is, is a buildup. Um, 
I would say it's probably more egregious in Fast X that in terms of where they leave things. I feel I feel at least like yeah, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has like a to be continued at the end, but I also feel like it's a a whole movie on its own. Oh um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There but is... Fa- Fast X is definitely half a movie. <laughs> okay, okay. That's good. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, do any any flaws uh in this Spider-Man? Do you have um when did you uh, see Spider-Man? Did you see it? I saw it on um, its premiere day. Uh, when when did you see it? I saw it like literally yesterday. As we okay. Recorded. Did yeah. you? Okay. Well, I guess. Did you in the very beginning? The sound um, issues. Did you? What, did, could you tell if? Uh, have you listened to the original sound? Did it change at the drumming part in particular in the beginning? What What were your thoughts? Did it just sound totally? Um, fine? it sounded fine to me. Okay, Guelph might have gotten the new mixing. Okay, uh, I I have to honestly rewatch it. Um, because I, I I'm an audio guy, I like audio, and uh, I I'm a huge Sony guy, like hardcore, mm. and they um they care a lot about audio. But my issue is, I kind of liked because I noticed when I first saw it. Like without like the complaints I saw at the opening, I I noticed it was kind of different. I noticed that the mm. dialogue was lower than mm. I expected for a cinema, but the actual drumming was louder. I mm. thought it was purposeful. I thought it was supposed to kind of intertwine her dialogue and the drumming as if they're uh, together almost. You know, like she herself is within the music. I I don't know. I just I thought it was a purposeful way to kind of play around with the audio but um, i mean it, it, it might they have it, they remixed it so I it, it might have been purposeful i mean i remember i remember going to the imax uh screening of mission impossible ghost protocol and and part of that was the the first scene of the dark knight rises and that was the famous like we can't hear what bane is saying version um oh and what? they updated it i didn't know that yeah they changed it before Dark Knight Rises came out because there were so many people complaining, like, what is he saying? Like <laughs> Chris Nolan really took like he's wearing a mask thing seriously. Um it didn't bother. Yeah, but that me, was like but... purposeful, yeah, for Bane, because that like added a bit yeah. of realism to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't know what they were doing. If maybe they were all like responding to the criticism like that. Yeah, just know, any listeners, can... if if you've already seen it or if you're you know an audio person, just give a listen in particular to the drumming and, and... Yeah. And see if you notice anything. I just think it's impressive, and it shows you know, just like how modern. Uh, yeah. That they like, like uh, Kanye West will release an album, and then he'll like have a bunch of post-release updates, right? I find it interesting that Sony went about that for this, and that's just become more of a commonality in film, whether mm-hmm. that's good or bad. But we got it's a new, it's, a new film as an example of that. It's a question of whether it's good or bad. You know, if to you know mistakes are part of film, it's. But I, that I, if the flaw is the only one I, I I could find. Yeah, I I think yeah it, it's hard to I'm I'm not sure I'm on board with, like some of the superlatives that like it's it's not only like the best comic movie ever it's one of the best films ever it's like I'm not there yet it's a perfectly fun and enjoyable film I just wonder how long a shelf life it might have outside of like it, it, it's yeah no no absolutely like it's to, it's, it's to in a certain extent of like a deconstruction of like our comic book movie mad world right now but um i i do wonder how we might see this like 10 years from now when you know nobody remembers that mrs chen was a character in venom it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well it, it, it's the absolute like highest rated now on letterboxd and yeah. i love the film but don't even know if that uh, that's it's a little over the, the top yeah it's a little yeah yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Well, everybody like talking about that might, you know, uh, overhype it a bit, which isn't good. So. Yeah, I mean that could it could have like a big come down on the other side. It's like you Spider Man across. You actually like that? You know, it's yeah. it's it's been known to happen, and um. But who knows? Maybe it will be very well remembered. Maybe the visuals won't be. Um. Maybe like we won't see anything else of that. Nature. I mean, it's it's solid. It's just it's so much mm-hmm. fun from beginning to end. Um. Especially if you're a Spider Man fan, there's just there's so much to 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 nosh on. It's um. I I, I think it 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 will it, it'll it'll be one of the hits of the year and i think one of the sort of um i don't know i it, it may be one of the ones that we're talking about in terms of best movies of the year when it comes around i don't know it just yeah I, yeah oh for sure i just like just go in don't worry about its place in the the panacea just you know go in and have a good time i think is is the recommendation exactly all right, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to us again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download us from the Guelph Politicast channel on Friday at Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where else can people find you on the internet? Uh, I go by Mr. Tarak on YouTube and Twitter. Check me out there, y'all. <laughs> and you can check me out back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We shall return, of course, next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. Mm